Hello everybody, Brett Stewart here. I want to put a disclaimer at the top of the show to let you know what is happening with Movie Go Round because I know for the past month or so it's been a little irregular in your feed. I so apologize for that. That's on me as the producer of the show. Certainly not David or Nicole. And that's really just because I started a new job and I had so many things going on and life got in the way a little bit. And that tends to happen every once in a blue moon when you are podcasting as a hobby. But rest assured that we do want to make it much more concrete and we do want a release schedule that is more reliable than it has been of recent. So my sincere apologies for that first and foremost. Second, a ton of episodes are going to land in your feed. Every couple days, you're going to get a new episode. And this is for a couple reasons. First of all, as many of you know, we're pretty far behind, or I suppose ahead. We record very far ahead, so gosh, there'll be an episode that comes out that we recorded three, four months prior. And that's actually become a problem for us in terms of having an open communication and receiving feedback from you, the audience, to then read that feedback on the show. It's hard when you put out an episode and then weeks and weeks later, you finally are able to read the feedback. So we're trying to get episodes in your feed closer to when we are recording them. And in an effort to do that, we're doing Movie Ghoul Round again this year in October. And our goal is to get our whole backlog out in your feed prior to that. That way we can start a regular weekly cadence with Movie Ghoul Round for the month of October. And then moving forward, we'll only be within a couple weeks of actually recording and then releasing rather than months and months ahead. So thank you so much for your patience. We so appreciate it. Please enjoy this episode an American Tale. Hello and welcome to Movie Go Round, a film discussion podcast that rotates between different themes every single week on a five-week schedule. This week's theme is... Netflix Roulette. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Stewart. Joining me on this fine evening, Nicole Davis, how are you? Uh, if I never hear that song again, it will be too soon. Um, otherwise, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm good. Glad. I have to, you know, try to hunt it back out of my head from where it had lodged for somewhere between, like, from 1986 to maybe 1997 or eight when it was finally, you know, flushed out of there. Sure. Um, but um, now it's back, so hopefully it will take a little less time to chase it out again. We'll see what happens. Yeah, it's like the 80s baby shark. It just gets stuck in your head and never leaves. Uh, I'm so glad you're in my camp with this, but I don't think David Luzader is. How are you? I, you know, I, I'm i not coming in here as like a hot defender of this movie. <laughs> but like, I'm also... Like you, viscerally against it. Yeah, you guys like had a reaction <laughs> on an emotional level that I just did not expect. I... <laughs> This took me three days to watch, and it's an 80-minute movie. Uh, I'm actually, you can hear my t- my folly work on my keyboard right now. I'm bringing up the IMDb. I didn't even care enough to do that before this podcast. Uh, an American Tale. That's what we watched, and the Netflix picked it for us. We spun the wheel, and it spat it back out. And this was a 1986 animated film directed by Don Bluth. Now, before- but Brett, 
before yeah. we get into it. <laughs> yeah, I was just about What's to get that. your pick for next week? Oh, all right. Yes, we are going to be watching another animated children's film, in my opinion, a good one. And okay. I think it'll be a future classic in several okay. capacities. So uh, last week, Dr. John died, who was an iconic New Orleans pianist. Uh, and I was feeling really bummed out. And it was actually the day we were recording. And I was like, oh, my God, I have the perfect future classes pick because it's tied in the Dr. John. And then, of course, I realized it was Netflix roulette week and I couldn't do that. But we are going to be watching it next week. The Princess and the Frog, a Disney movie from 2009. Oh, interesting, because I already have opinions on that. Cuts oh, off. I've right, never seen that one. It's right. It's right. It's Disney's first African American princess, uh, a Creole princess in Louisiana, in New Orleans. Doctor John is on the soundtrack, and it's Disney's <laughs> second to last hand animated traditional film. Uh, Winnie the Pooh in 2011 being the last one. So it'll be interesting if David's already. There's some hot opinions floating around about that movie. I think it's future oh, classic. I, I, I haven't seen all of it, but I have some hot opinions on whether or not it's a classic <laughs> or two v one. Very good. Well, we will get into that next week, The Princess and the Frog. It's not vaulted by Disney. You can get it on streaming services if you rent it. But this week, it's uh, this movie's not vaulted by Disney either, because it's not a Disney movie. It just should have been one, and it probably would have been better. An American tale, tale spelled T-A-I-L. When emigrating to the United States, Fievel, a young Russian mouse, gets separated from his family and must find them while trying to survive in a new country. Now, you guys were well familiar with this, and I was not. And then I, once I started watching it, I kind of remembered it as a kid. But you guys were steeped in the lore of an American tale. Well, I mean, the, steeped in the lore. What lore are you talking <laughs> about? I, I guess I say that because there's like four more movies, and the rest of them turn into like Scooby-Doo capers. Yeah, well, I just, I, my my brain can't hear an American tale and not fill in a, like Fievel Goes West. So I'm pretty much stuck there, but I don't think I've seen anything beyond Five Goes West. Is that the second one? Yes. Yeah. Mm, okay, because there's also one where he finds a treasure map. There's one where there's a night monster. I don't know what the uh, night monster the is. There's the treasure of Manhattan Island and then the mystery yeah. of, night, of the night monster. <laughs> night and monster. Uh, then there's also Five's American Tales, which was a, uh, a, a TV series in 1992. Whereas I was completely unaware there were any sequels beyond Five Goes West. Yeah, I think like it's one of those things that I kind of knew in passing. Like somebody told me once 10 years ago and I was like, really? And then immediately forgot. <laughs> yeah, so this was directed by a guy named Don Bluth, uh, most famously known for both this and... 17 Land Before Time films, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, <laughs> 11, I think. Well, uh, Don Bluth didn't have anything to do with most of the sequels. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay, well, maybe to you that's what he's known for, but how dare you discount All Dogs Go to Heaven and the Secret oh. of Nim and Anastasia and also <laughs> Dragon's Lair. All right, and All Dogs Go to Heaven too. Wait, Charlie Sheen is in all... Okay. And yeah, I Titan pull myself out of this Don't hole. forget Titan A. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, Pete's Dragon... <laughs> All right, so this was this was the B-list animated movie director of the 80s and 90s. There's some A-listers in there, I'll have you know. <laughs> Not all of them. So so no, I suppose... He was, he was definitely second tier, though. And Disney was top of the heap, and then Don Bluth was yes. under that. 
Yes. Yeah, and, and when I was watching this, as someone who is, gosh, I, I, I think I saw this when I was really young because seeing Fievel's hat was kind of a trigger of like, oh, I, th- I think I've seen this. And then also, you know, I saw All Dogs Go to Heaven in the first Land Before Time. Um, but I wasn't that familiar with his work. And when I was watching it, all I could think of is like, wow, this is kind of a a DreamWorks of a different generation. I just really wish I was watching a Disney movie instead. <laughs> and turns out that that association makes perfect sense because Steven Spielberg, who was inexplicably involved in making this movie, later went on to create uh, Amblimation, which would later become DreamWorks. So this movie, the success of this and Land Before Time are directly responsible for Spielberg dunking money into Amblimation and then eventually, you know, making DreamWorks. Yeah, well, and and Don Bluth had worked for Disney, uh, but was not really a big fan of how Disney was run, which is why he left and went to go do his own thing. Yeah, so I guess right off the bat then, let's talk about how you put a discussion in our, in our doc, doc at David. Why have Disney movies endured for decades and yet Don Bluth movies are stuck squarely in their time? And I think that's a good place to start because this is very of its time. It doesn't feel as timeless as a lot of the Disney stuff that I'm familiar with. Well, even even kind of beyond that, we mentioned stuff like Secret of Nim and All Dogs Go to Heaven. I think, Brett, you like are aware of those where like I saw those a bunch as a kid. And I think, you know, anybody younger than you, if you ask them, All Dogs Go to Heaven, they'll be like, what? What is that? I don't know who that is. Yeah, there's just something about I don't know. There's something about them that are just stuck squarely in the my age range. I don't know if if parents today are not showing their children the secret of Nim, then they are failing oh. their children parlously. <laughs> A lot of them are not. So yeah, this is right, David. You're you're like the the generation, you know, seven seven ish years, not not even ahead of me, and um, mm-hmm. that's you're right. That's squarely where this is because a lot of these movies came out in the late '80s, early '90s. I was born '95. I I missed the cutoff for when I would have been introduced to this by the time I was the age to watch movies. Yeah, no, I, I was too old for this when this came out. I was, you know, 14 when this came out, so I missed it the other direction, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so this, this movie came out uh, just before I was born, but then, you know, you had, when I was young enough, you had the age of VHS tapes, and suddenly you could have all these movies in your house. And, you know, I was a little kid. I would, more animation, give me more. Right. Sure. Yeah. Stuff like Fievel. Goes if west it was a quote-unquote cartoon, I wanted to watch it. At a exactly. Mm-hmm. So this movie, like all good cartoons, is a um, an analog <laughs> for <laughs> let me let me, I, let me just say let me just say one one thing real quick about Don Bluth. Um, yeah. I saw I saw a stage production of a Midsummer Night's Dream he directed in Phoenix one time. Total random tangent. Had to still throw it in there. Continue on. Well, was it any good? Was it a good mid- Midsummer's? Yeah, uh, I knew the guy who was—I can't remember the which character he played, but one of the one of the two lovers that gets—I know there's four of them, but one of the two males—they uh, get lost in the woods and all that. And it was it was a reimagining in kind of a 1920s Hollywood sort of thing. Uh, the guy's name was Spencer, who was in it, and I leaned over to my friend Jacob, who was also a friend of Spencer's, and I said, "If Spencer doesn't come out." shirtless at one point i'm gonna be very disappointed and lo and behold spencer came out in a wife beater but i consider that a win this story had no bearing on anything so let's 
Shout out to Spencer. Okay. Yeah, I have no idea what happened Uh, to that guy. (laughs) I just wanted to note that the the Disney movies that Don Bluth did the most work on were um, Robin Hood, a couple of Winnie the Pooh movies, and The Rescuers. And he was working on Fox and the Hound when he left. Yeah. And if you look at Robin Hood in particular, you can really see so much of his animation style. Mm-hmm. You'll, it's a, it's an echo of all the things he did afterward. Ah, good right. old, good old Robin Hood. And I mean, he picked up. He must have picked up the Disney technique for um, animation of water because mm-hmm. he does that incredibly well in this movie. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I want to get into that in in a couple minutes here. I do want to lay some groundwork because we've talked tangentially about the time in which this came out and what its space is within animation in the 80s and 90s. But really what this movie is about is, as you said in our docket, Nicole, uh, the it's distilled example of the willing naivete of some immigrants. Uh, things are horrible here, but they must be much better there. In fact, things are ideal over there. We need to go over there. And uh, when I first got into this movie... I knew that, you know, Fievel and his family were the uh, um, Jewish family of mouses fleeing oppression. And my mind immediately, because I didn't know much about the movie, was that, oh, they're fleeing late 30s, 30s Germany. I thought I thought it was going to be actually a a, a, a Nazi uh, analog, but it's actually a oh, Russian goodness. thing. No, I there didn't. There we go. Nazi cats. <laughs> Not, I thought they were going to be Nazi cats. But instead, there's just like angry anti-semitic russian cats so it's earlier we're, we're looking cats. yeah we're looking like turn of the century uh this or like is, late 1800s I can probably actually, i can actually date this movie because the end of the movie comes with the completion of the statue of liberty oh. so it's the fall of 1886 okay so um late 1800s which means then. that the um the attack on Fievel's village is part of the pogroms uh, that were happening in Russia, um, which are racial led riots. by the the Cossacks under the Russian government's direction. You guys didn't think you were going to get a history lesson here today, <laughs> right? But here we are now. One of the before we get into the whole, you didn't ask for it, and yet, <laughs> and yet you got it. There's a lot <laughs> of things I didn't ask for, like this movie. And oh, come on, <laughs> no, but that's what the roulette's about. That is what the roulette's about. Now. We have the willing naivete of the family. You know, there are no cats in America. Everything's amazing in America. And I guess what really kind of like bothered me about this a little bit, and it bothered other critics too, was some critics didn't think that it doubled down enough on the fact that this is a Jewish family of mice escaping persecution. They felt that like it was touching on their Judaism early on in the movie when they're having their Hanukkah dinner. And that's kind of it later on. So my question is, if I'm watching this as a young kid, am I going to pick up the allegory in this movie that that Jews have had a very oppressed history from Europe, you know, emigrating eventually to the U.S. and still having issues? And I, I get that that is not it, a lesson that, 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 that the point of the movie. I think I would argue no, no, not. no. See, I think it kind of is. I think I think that is an early lesson you can instill upon youth that there are certain groups of people, Jews in particular, that have been ostracized from so many different cultures all around the world, and it's been hard for them to find a place 
a, a place of peacefulness. And, and that's always been the case for Jews throughout history. And this movie doesn't touch on it a ton. I feel like that's a valuable lesson for kids. I think that's good. I mean, yeah, sure. But it's also it's also they're, they're mice. So I realize a, I realize yeah. the target demo it, is maybe not ready for the socio political. Right. It's also it's also do we, hey, should Did our, you want Fievel to be struggling to go to shul somewhere in America <laughs> once he got here? <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> I thought I thought maybe it could be like, hey, Fievel's going to teach us about some Jewish traditions and stuff. And well, is it is it the responsibility <laughs> of movies like this to teach kids those sort of lessons? I think that could have been an interesting route in this movie. Like, it, I don't know. But it's also Hollywood in the 80s. And that is not something that you that they mar- were marketing to kids. They weren't no, marketing no, yeah. things based on their religious heritage to push them no, toward and- children. I mean, nowadays they would, but that's they would be for Christian stuff. And they'd be yeah. pushing that because that is now a, a lucrative market for some movie makers. Yeah. Well, look look at look at a movie like Coco, which is a, a recent film and a recent shining example of like they did a lot of they took a lot of care to really like show this culture in all of its light, uh, and and not not exploit it just as like ah, oh, and they're Mexican in the story, so here's a bunch of Mexican crap. Like they actually took time to really to show the culture and to care about it. But that kind of came on the tail end of like, Disney has been receiving criticism for years of like, Hey, you need to be better at how you're representing cultures in your movies, looking at stuff like Pocahontas and oh. it, right. Exactly. <laughs> Pocahontas full stop. Like that's all I really, yeah. and, and, and <laughs> right we'll get there. into this discussion really next week to too. Pocahontas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, the, the Disney still is not, totally great with all that stuff we we will get into that next week there are critics of princess and the frog that that have some issues with it so yeah i mean this was also a precursor to spielberg going on creating dreamworks and then one of the first movies they made if not the first was prince of egypt and that i think does a if you're going to have like here's the story of an oppressed people that yeah that movie does maybe a better job yeah, and I, like, I, just, I I get that in that. Like, I was young and I understood that. Like, hey, what they're doing the Moses isn't cool. Like, well, I got like that. Well, that's like a stealth Jewish movie. You know, yeah. it's like right. it's, it's got biblical themes, and that was controversial enough. But it is super Jewish. This is and, all Old Testament. Yeah, right. and also that soundtrack is full of bangers. Like, man, <laughs> it's good. It has to be when you're. I'm on. I'm on the IMDb right now. I got to go back to this. Danny Glover, Val Kilmer, Ray Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Patrick Stewart, Helen Mirren, Steve Martin. <laughs> Holy shit! If, if you want to talk about a movie that's beautifully animated, still even today, yeah. like Prince of Egypt is a feast for the eyes. Man, all right, it didn't. We didn't pick that though, so we ended up with this. And I think <laughs> is it on Netflix? I should watch it. Uh, I have so no idea. it does. I think do it. If it, putting aside the religion, which the movie addresses which early the movie on, does. Yes. the movie does, which it does. Ten minutes, right? Right. And I understand some critics being a little annoyed at that. Uh, it does focus very squarely on the naivete of immigrants as Nicole put in our docket. And that's very interesting because you do have Fievel's entire family, particularly his father who just, they all, they believe in their whole being is that there are no cats in America that, you know, in, or there's no, you know, anti-Semitic. The, the roads and, are paved with cheese. Roads are paved with cheese. Oh, isn't there a whole song? There are no yes. cats in America. <laughs> it's a whole musical oh, number. God. 
Uh, my head. Can you imagine how bad that would smell? <laughs> oh my god, that song, the No Cats in America, especially when it hot summer day in Atlanta. Oh sweet lord, cheese covered streets. There's an oh. interlude in that song oh. with an Irish mouse. It was almost yeah. like they were trying to capture the New York melting pot. That's, I think, exactly what they were trying to do. I know, but I say almost because it doesn't work. It's just so bad. Yeah, apparently the boat they're they're emigrating on is as made is making multiple stops on its way out of Europe yes. and picked yeah. up <laughs> picked up the Irish guy somewhere else because the the Russian what? mice certainly didn't get on there and uh, cork. I don't know. It's, it's the eighties. The explanation was probably he rode in on a potato or something. <laughs> Just saying they weren't very sensitive back then. Well, no, that's, <laughs> that's true. Although that's there was a really nice little touch as the boat's leaving, like one of the seagulls has a yarmulke on, which I thought was very yeah, cute. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so this but, brings I mean, us. Yeah. As to the, the naivete, I mean, I don't, I don't mean that to be just dismissive in any way or to say that they're naive as in they don't know any better it's just that i just wanted to to point out that it it really seems to harp on it without without leaning on the persecution bit you you lose the fact that people will believe that because they are so desperate to find better circumstances that you know anywhere well number one anywhere else has got to be better and in a lot of cases that's true you know like the people fleeing guatemala have damn good reasons to be leaving and you know the fact that they're willing to abandon everyone and everything they know to Mm -hmm. come north um should tell you how desperate a situation it is but the i i'm not entirely sure if the belief that everything will be better once you get there is part of human nature when you're facing a big problem or if it's a way to kind of keep yourself motivated to stay on the journey i think well we're getting to some places here i think it's it's <laughs> kind of a little bit of both right it's like you need that hope to 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 get you to keep going on because if you don't have that hope that things will be better then why even try yeah one yeah. thing I think, kind of going along with the saying, is like they're, 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 they're using the 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 age old tale that little kids will tap into of like, oh, cats eat mice and hate mice, and that's why the mice are going to want to run from it. But I kind of feel like know, the mice are a little bit kind of ineffectual in this movie. Not the mice, the cats. The cats are fairly ineffectual. Actually, that's pretty true to life. Having been a longtime cat owner uh, <laughs> and having lived in a house that at one time had a, a mouse problem, um, I can tell you that cats have domesticated cats have the instinct to hunt, but unless they're but taught, no skills. yeah, they've got no skills at actually catching and killing the mice. That's why they play with it. They don't play with it out of malice. They play with it because they don't know what to do with it <laughs> yeah. once they catch it. And I mean, I had a cat at my house where. You know, when we had the mouse problem, I'd see a mouse like scooting along the kitchen floor and at one point sat in the cat's bowl on top of the cat's food and the cat was sitting like a foot away, totally ignoring it. Now, if your cat, if could your cat wear uh, a hat and a, and a fake cone on its nose and appear to be a rat? 
I, you know, I never tried tying on the fake nose, but we did try the tucking the ear thing, and it'd only stay for a second. So <laughs> it just wouldn't work. No, no. How tiny not. was that cat that yeah. was supposed to be a rat? <laughs> so, really small. For context, yeah. the listeners, Fievel does come across what ends up being a friendly cat. So not hashtag not no, all cats. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about Tiger. I'm talking about the one that's pretending to be. Oh, right, a rat. right, right, right. Okay. The one that was okay. like the, basically the, the one that was running the racket. Right. Yes, warranty okay. rat. Yes. <laughs> Warrant. Oh, I'd actually just got that. <laughs> that it's warranty. Yeah. I wasn't really paying attention at the time <laughs> to the name. Yeah. So, so one thing about this movie is that. It, it's very uneven and it's it's fully in display yes. in this movie. You know, there's sloppy animation in some places, beautiful work in others. And the reason I want to touch on this now is because even what Nicole cites here in our docket, the storm at the sea is exactly what my mind went to when I thought of what is beautiful in this movie. The, the, the scene in which Fievel is getting swept away by the storm off of this boat into the ocean away from his family is it is Disney-esque. Like, you can see the better parts of Don Bluth's work there, where the giant waves are turning into Poseidon-esque goliaths. And it's it's really stunning. It's a beautiful scene. Yeah, there are some really beautiful shots uh, that you can really tell, you know, when... when that th- they used every bit of money that Steven Spielberg could get for them, and unfortunately, <laughs> it couldn't go as far as they wanted it to. Right, but they definitely spent it on this sequence. I mean, there's a beautiful bit where, you know, Fievel is riding on a bar of soap as the water sloshes back and forth yeah. across the deck. And you can see, you know, the water gets darker where it, as it gets deeper and then as it slides back the other way, it gets lighter as it gets, you know, as it's a thinner um, depth of water over the, the wooden boards. Um but yeah, I mean the the waves turning into Poseidon to to pound the ship and by all appearances try to sink it. And of course, this is a perfect time for Fievel to want to go out on deck, which is why I did not like Fievel at all. I'm like you, no, this is all Fievel's fault. Kid. Your father's calling you to come back, and you throw your hat out the door because you want to see what's going on up on deck. You're yeah. Like, I'm my hat, Papa. Oh God, if I heard no. Papa. Oh my God. A thousand times in this movie, just, but you just triggered me with that voice. Kid, I'm like, well, that's what you get, kid, for not listening to your dad. <laughs> I think I think that's one like one of the major struggles of the movie is like they had Fievel act like a like a five year old. It's like no, that's it doesn't that gets work. Frustrating, and also like, the the I voice. Mean, it doesn't work for us as adults. It's hard to speak. To. I mean, this movie made a good amount of money. In the, oh yeah, in, it made a ton of money. It made eighty-four million dollars on a budget of nine million. Yeah, in a budget of nine million, <laughs> like it made its its budget back and then some. That doesn't like was, change how God forsaken Fievel's little voice is. It is the most. It's so bad, guys. I can't. I cannot think of a more annoying animated voice i just can't oh give me a minute i'm sure i think i, could. I think yeah <laughs> i think maybe if you're gonna if you're gonna transcend to live action there's a strong argument to be made for jake lloyd he had an obnoxious voice too but this takes the cake 
by a mile. Well, you know, that's something you got to lay square at the feet of Don Bluth for not. Oh, of course. Yeah. Directing this kid a little more, you know, like to bring his voice down out of the rafters a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't understand why Fievel has to be in the mentality of a five-year-old. And maybe part of that is this innocence of, of exploring New York with all of his zany what? friends. Isn't he supposed to be five? Sure, I, but but why can't it be like a 10-year-old mouse that has a larger vocabulary and doesn't have a voice like that? It would still be innocent and cute. Well, then that would be his sister, who's yeah. a girl, and why would she be the lead of this movie? No, Tilly's not <laughs> interesting. Tanya Tilly. So she gets a song uh, with him, but, though, which which I've seen memes of before, before I'd seen this movie. But the the real issue here is that Brett thinks that ten year olds are all innocent and cute, which I think, buddy, how often are you hanging out with kids? Or I have nieces and nephews, and let me tell you, things start happening when they get to that age. They start understanding manipulation. <laughs> oh God, they get cruel. It's yeah, not as cute as you think it is. Yeah, maybe, but it'd be a more interesting movie. Uh, and, and I think for me, visually, one thing I also want to bring up is. I get that you might have to spend more time and effort and budget in one shot versus another, but something I like about a lot of Disney movies and even, you know, some anime movies that aren't Disney, you know, I always loved Prince of Egypt, Road of El Dorado, all that stuff is like, there has to be some creative vision about what's going on in the background and what settings you're going to put your characters in to make them consistently visually interesting and appealing. And there's such a long stretch of time in this movie that the backgrounds are dull and in these, you know, darkened, you know, little mouse holes and stuff around New York or Brooklyn, wherever he seems to be. And it's just not fun to look at. And you need that with an animated children's film. You need something visually appealing and interesting like the storm scene. And I feel like you lose that when it just gets drowned in dull golds and browns and blacks for so much of the movie. I think part of that is very much Don Bluth. Uh, he has a sort of, I guess, dour sensibility in some of his backgrounds and stuff. And there's times where it certainly pays off. You know, Secret of Nim, as we've talked about, super fantastic. Yeah. I think I think Titan AE does actually have a pretty strong aesthetic. Uh, he does, but he plays on those downbeats a lot that don't, that maybe for this movie didn't work quite as well. Yeah, he's not a happy-go-lucky kind of guy. No, he's not. <laughs> and that really shows in a lot of his work. I mean, like like you said, David, you know, like it, it really works in something like Secret of Nim, which is a very you know d- very dark story. Um, but something like, uh, something like this should be. I don't know. It's. Yeah, but then, it feels like it's trying to take a page from the Disney playbook of there's, you know, there's a couple of moments of tragedy and or peril that are really sharper than you think they're going to be. And then it all turns around and a lot of it is happy adventure. Yeah. Well, then, then he did. Well, he did Anastasia. But you get you get those exact same things when you get into any of the Rasputin stuff like the Rasputin stuff is just <laughs> classic Don Bluth. Because yeah. John Cusack is in Anastasia. Don't ever forget that. I want everybody to remember that. <laughs> and let's also not forget that Christopher Plummer is in this movie. 
Christopher Plummer is in this Playing movie. the pigeon. He is Henry, the <laughs> pigeon, who was originally supposed to have a very different accent, I believe, and then they changed it. So they... I, this movie... Yeah, this movie's also got Dom DeLuise and Madeline Kahn. It's got some really strong talent. Yeah, not enough of Dom DeLuise or Marilyn, Madeline Kahn. I will, I will agree with that, but that's every movie. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> every movie could have both of them in it, and I would be much happier. Yeah, so it would be, it would be to the film's benefit in just about every case. So. Yeah, I I would say that with Madeline Kahn, in this one, they probably were just about to hit as much as you could push that gag. Yeah. That's how I feel you know, about I, that. I adore Madeline Kahn. Oh, and this role did not... <sighs> <laughs> she did the best she could. So for the listeners, given, for the listeners' benefit, uh, what does the Statue of Liberty stand for? Freedom. 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 Oh my God, my head hit my <laughs> yeah, desk so hard when she did that. Gussie Mouseheimer, the richest mouse in New York. Yeah, played they, by Madeline Kahn. And they 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 picked Kahn uh, for that role because they were hoping she would use the same voice she used in Blazing Saddles, which uh, she did. Spoiler alert. Yeah, and in this movie, she's one instance of some good ideas. I don't think are terribly well executed between like this the social culture of the mice echoing that of the humans in New York. And uh, you have this the social hierarchy of wealth that she is at the top of, and we don't really get to see too much of. Um, we get what I think is a great scene that is cut too quickly, and, and there's more interesting things they could have done with it, with uh, Honest John, who is the, I believe, the local politician. I don't know if we say what he runs for. I don't know if he's their, if he's their alderman or their mayor. Um, something like that. And he gets the ghost votes. He gets the ghost votes by, you know, counting votes of mice recently deceased. And he also, yeah. uh, will only really help you, but as long as you're registered to as vote, long as you're registered to vote. And there's some yeah. great, like, there's some great little commentary in there for the parents that I, I love. I was, a, that was my favorite scene in the movie. I, you know, now I'm starting to wonder because. You also have around the same time, and I'll pull up the dates just so I have it exact. You have The Great Mouse Detective, another movie I thoroughly enjoy, but also, you know, not the hot hit that it, it could be. Is there just something about mice movies that aren't working for us as an audience? When did Stuart <laughs> Little come out? Like 99. Oh, not Shyamalan's. for a long time. But yeah, but Stuart Little, how often are we talking about that movie today? Wait. M. Night Shyamalan wrote Stuart wrote Little? Stuart Little, yes. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, mice are cute. You know, what about mouse they're trap? small, so kids relate to them. Mousetrap came out in 97. Right, did you just but Google mouse, mouse movies? No, I remember both <laughs> Stuart Little and Mousetrap for some reason vividly from my childhood. Apparently, there was a there was a mouse assance in the mid to late 90s. <laughs> Well, and also the late 80s. Interestingly enough, The Great Mouse Detective made less money than an American tale. That's weird to me. Also not important to our discussion of this film <laughs> at all. No, no. I do, I do I want think to mice say. are just a popular figure for children's movies because the, you know, kids can relate to being small and being able to fit in right. small it's, places it's also, and going unnoticed. 
It's yeah. what what is it? The tale of Despero. It's um, I'm a mouse and I know how to cook. Oh, that's a rat, isn't it? Ratatouille. Yeah, rat. How dare you? How dare you put ratatouille <laughs> in that category? It's, yeah, no. I for for context though, um, the reason Stuart Little is forever etched into my mind is I was right around the age when Stuart Little came out four, five, six years old in that era where that's finally when other kids start mocking other kids. And that is when I started getting called Stuart Little because of my mm. name. And it's spelled differently, everybody. He uses you know, a U. <laughs> you know why it's stuck in my brain? Because humans adopt a mouse <laughs> as a child. Yeah. But isn't we're it like, not discussing that movie. It's like so Hugh weird. Laurie, too. Like... Hugh yeah, Laurie is in that movie. Yeah. Hugh Laurie and Gina Davis adopt a mouse <laughs> voiced by Michael J. Fox. Oh, oh man. I forgot it was Michael J. Fox. I need to go back to that. Or maybe it's best left untouched in the recesses of my childhood. But in any case, this one. This movie. <laughs> yeah. This movie Fievel, features an actual child. Fievel seems awfully plucky and upbeat for a young kid separated by his family and lost in a new country. And similarly, the family seems uh, fairly blasé about the near certainty of one of their kids being dead. I don't see. I think they're. Yeah. The family is kind of quick to be like, well, I guess we have to move on from this. Yeah. <laughs> the parents are just like, well. Them's the breaks. Yeah, this is why we had <laughs> this is why we had three, I guess, uh, which is kind of true for like the old days. It's like, well, one of them sadly, yeah, <laughs> had to fall off a ship. Uh, but they are like there's a lot of kids in hopes that enough would survive to adulthood yeah. to take care of them when they were old. There's like one scene of them sitting around being like, "Oh, our son is dead. How tragic!" And then like after that, they're at the market and just going on with their lives. <laughs> Right, and the daughter's like, I think five old might be alive. And like, no, like, you need to accept it. He's gone. Right, but like, like, shut up. Bury you. it deep. <laughs> like, yeah, and, and five is awfully plucky for someone that is literally lost in a new city as a child without his family. Yeah, yeah I'm five years old. I have gotten separated from my mom, and I'm left on my own almost gets sold to a workhouse I know. from like this really nasty gigantic toothy mouse and you know it's just which oh, is solved i, I am the... not going to be nearly so composed as this kid and solved in two minutes flat i thought that was going to be a whole storyline about how he was in a workhouse with this you know this other i like the brooklyn dodgers i'm a mouse like what's that kid's name tony uh, tony tony yeah. Voiced by uh, a 33-year-old voice actress, by the way. Yes. Oh. That, I, it, that blew my mind because I was looking at their IMDb and they have like 200 credits. They've been in literally everything. Yeah, let me see. It's uh, I wrote her name. Pat Music. Pat, Pat Music, yeah. What a what so an she accent, She's 33 though. at the time. She's She has done a ton of voice work. Yep, still working today, in fact. Is it all really generic, bad brooklyn accents or is she no okay no. that's good because my god whenever <laughs> tony talks in this movie he's <sighs> oh yeah stick <sighs> with me kid he's like one step me yeah, like no, it was they call him the dodgers because we dodged the track i can't do the accent i recently anyway, learned I'm going that. over to newsies after this <laughs> <laughs> going over the newsies <laughs> yeah you know they called him the dodgers because he used to dodge the trains today i learned so yeah yeah, yeah. 
I it's a little confusing why Fievel acts the way Fievel does. I also think Fievel is just a complete moron. I'm just going to throw that out there. Well, he's a small child. I don't Brett. care. <laughs> I, if if a human I don't think child you were solving math equations at five. No, no, no. I'm saying if I was like five and separated from oh, my I'm family so in a foreign story. country, I think I'd probably, hopefully, have enough sense to not be quite as upbeat as he is. And and is and is. He gets in every stranger's van. This is just, hey, come on, I'll take you to your parents, says like 17 people in this movie. And he's like, okay, and follows them every time. Every and time. weirdly, it mostly works out. Gets Except bathed when gets... by strangers twice. Uh, yeah. Yes, this is that true. was weird. <laughs> yeah, by, by Christopher Plummer, the, the, the parrot, not the parrot. The, the, pigeon. The, he was the a pigeon. pigeon. That, who was building the Statue of Liberty, I guess? Yeah, yeah, but never say never. Never um, say never. Are, is there a song in this that's good? Well, <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's, it's not I mean, sung well, but somewhere out there, I'm a fan of. Yeah, I mean, the Linda Ronstadt, James Ingram version of the song is excellent. No, that's fine. <laughs> the, I, I love the Linda version Ronstadt. on Community is good. Yeah, I guess what There's I a think is on community. I have to go find that. Oh yeah, it's uh, Abed and uh, Troy are trying to train a mouse to respond to a song. That's the song they pick. <laughs> yeah, I guess I it's, just I think of like I think of the the Disney movies of this time that were also very music oriented, and I think of songs like Whole New World, Under the Sea, Bare Necessities. Like these are songs all for movies of that era. That well, are Bare Necessities is from the sixties. That was okay, the Haku- Jungle Book or Akuna Matata. Like that's another one for or like that's, um, that's not from, until the nineties. This the 90s. was this was just before the Disney Renaissance. This was when oh, they were right. making the Great Mouth Detective and Oliver and Company. Yeah, all right. Well, and, let's talk about Oliver and Company. Oh for a God, hot no! <laughs> At me on Guys, Twitter. Did you know that? Did you know that Let Brett doesn't? Was until Brett doesn't like Billy Joel music, which I think what? is just, I know. I happen to have an, a completely irrational affection for Oliver and Company. Everybody <laughs> It's still <laughs> rock and roll and me, to me is an affront to rock and roll everywhere. Uh, at oh, me on Twitter, I am Brett Stewart. Oof. But like this was the you same know, year. That was on like the first cassette I ever owned was but, Billy Joel's Glass well, Houses. But <sighs> Brett, I mean, but to that, you're saying like the, the songs that Disney was producing at this time, uh, Disney's animated movies of the 1980s, 1981, Fox and the Hound, 1985, Black Cauldron. 1986, Great Mouse Detective. You're Oliver right. I guess. I guess. And but then 89, Little, Little Mermaid. Mermaid. Okay, so yeah. around the same time, but everything moving forward with Disney, I, I know these songs from these movies. Even if it's just one, like Under the Sea, Forever, you'll know that song. I don't know if this movie has that song. Is it? Is the song? Is it the? I will always love you. Whatever he sings when he's on top of a thing at night. <laughs> Somewhere out there, close enough. Uh, <laughs> Jeez, man. <laughs> Where they're underneath the same big star as they show a giant close-up of the moon. Yeah, the moon that's moving like incredibly fast yeah, through right. the sky. I, I, I do <laughs> irrationally wanna... huge. I mean that yeah. that thing's coming. That for thing us. is like right. That's... that's like that is that is some Majora's Mask stuff happening. <laughs> you only have three days to yep. find your family until the moon falls on you. Uh, yep. Yeah. Stay tuned the next week where a insect falls in love with the moon and tries to take it out on a date. <laughs>
I can't believe you're making us watch that movie. Oh, come I'm I'm going all out on that future classic. Wow. All right. So let's talk about some apparently other. Apparently, I need to brace myself for this film. Yeah, apparently we're gonna have some <laughs> from some split decisions. So uh, let's also talk about. Oh, shit, I'm almost out of topics here. How long do we have? We got 43 <laughs> minutes. All right, we can. Yeah, I think we're doing fine. We can kill some time here talking about American Tale a little bit longer. All right, uh, I never thought about it much, but I I feel like Disney kind of has a monopoly over Western animation and the cl- the classics that have arisen from it i've just never realized this is just hitting you now no, i know that yeah. but but <laughs> i suppose i never fully realized how many non-disney animated movies there were and how little i cared about them it, it was not until dreamworks really started kicking it into high gear probably not until i want to say not until shrek uh, uh, is shrek something. dreamworks yeah okay shrek is dreamworks yeah shrek shrek was like a a huge like oh man someone else aside from disney and like shrek had that like it's probably not aged great now i haven't watched like pop culture references and like cutting edge i'm laughing now but like cutting edge computer graphics and stuff like that it really was like not that like oh disney's shook but it's like okay there's someone else who's making quality animation and then like uh, you know, you have Studio Ghibli from Japan being like, huh? What do you think of this? Right, stuff? which is why I, I carefully worded my question as Western animation because there is, you know, Japanese animation throughout all this era that is amazing. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I, it kind of dawned on me with this movie because this was a movie that I should have maybe cared about. I was, I was around the age where it only been out for not terribly long by the time I was young enough to watch it. And I just didn't care. This movie never stuck with me and I, I did see it. And I suppose that, that brings the question to mind. Is this a movie that's worth bringing up to your children in today? Like, like you would the little mermaid or, or something like that. I think, I mean, bring up to them. I don't know if it's, I mean, if it's, it's like on introduce Netflix. them to it. Like, like it's time to sit down and watch Aladdin because you've never seen Aladdin before, because that's a coming of age thing to see Aladdin and the little mermaid and the lion King and I toy story. If it's, a, if it's on Netflix and they have literally played toy story 700 times in a row, <laughs> put on the damn mouse movie. Like, yeah. Yeah. Break. It is yeah. something else. But, I, but my, is... my question is, is, is not, can you can you occupy them? My question is is <laughs> well, that's what movies are. No, no, Brett, that's what movies are for children. Do not. <laughs> no, I realize that, but I, I totally realize that. And part of this is my naivete is as obviously nowhere near the age of having kids yet. As a non-parent, right? Yeah. But I think that there is merit in like I'm going to sit down with my kid and introduce them to the Lion King for the first time. There are so many of those movies, and they're almost all Disney movies. And uh, I. Uh, I can't think of why you'd be a diehard fan of American Tale. Why you'd be well, super yeah, excited yeah. to show your because kids nostalgia, it. Because nostalgia is a, is a thing. Because Goonies is a mediocre movie that people seem to love. Oh, God. Yeah. Fight and me. I mean, this an American Tale has two worthwhile like set pieces to it. It's got the, it's got the storm scene and it's got the... Uh, executing the plan to get the cats on the boat, mm-hmm. and that's about it. And they those these things are you know the 
the immigration storyline is tied to the getting rid of the cat storyline. I think pretty much strictly for running time purposes, <laughs> uh, because otherwise this movie would be too short. Right, um, it's clocking in at 80 minutes. They had to get, well, there actually was some stuff that was cut because um, Spielberg thought it would be too intense for kids. No, I, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, you Don know, Bluth. but I mean, you get to the, you get to the end of the movie, you know, and uh, the plan gets executed. And just before Fievel and his papa can be reunited, a fire breaks out on the dock because this movie needs to fill another five minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> why, why was it burning? <laughs> yeah. Did you notice the baby disappears oh, during the family yeah. reunion and nobody seems to yeah, notice? The neighbor's watching it. I don't know. I was like, wait, wait. The mother's not holding the baby. Where's the baby? Where is the baby? A uh, question that so many parents have asked themselves. Man, now, I, now I'm just imagining if Spielberg thought there were parts of it that'd be too dark. I'm imagining him sitting down and be like, Don... You need to kick this back about 70 years. We cannot have Nazi cats. It's just well, not going to fly. I'm picturing Steven Spielberg like taking his nieces and nephews to the secret of Nim and them like wailing and clutching him during parts of that movie. And he's like, <laughs> going, yes, yes. This I must might be a it. little too dark for kids. Right. Well, there was like, so the, the whole thing, like the one of the sequences that I read referenced is when, when the ship is getting battered, like instead of it turning into like sort of this Poseidon thing, it was monsters. Like uh-huh. sea monsters out there, which I could see that being like that's a little, you know, little intense. Right. I think <laughs> I think mostly, unless they're little, little, I think mostly kids would understand that you know the water turning into a, a human-like figure is a, you know, it's a it's a figurative depiction of a storm. It's not right. something that they might really see. Whereas showing Mon- sea monsters, you might stop and be like. Oh, are there are there really things like right, that? Right, exactly. It, it is exactly. kind of scary. I could see that being kind of scary for a kid, though. Even even as the the personified waves, you know, they they're. I could see that. I oh sure. To to answer my question earlier of whether or not this will last for parents to want to show their children, I want to share a little tidbit on this movie. They decided around <sighs> the time this movie came out, it'd be a great idea to build a uh, a water like playground type thing at Universal Studios in Florida that was all Fievel themed. Sure. And I mean, <laughs> it, it was promptly replaced in 1997 by the Coke Soak, which is a giant thing of Coke pouring Hold water on, did you, on say, you. Did you say, did you just say promptly replaced 10 years later? Because ten years, ten years for a feature at, an, at a at a park is actually a pretty good amount of time. Is it? I mean, there's stuff at Disney and you in Universal. Yeah. It's been there for decades. Yes, because it's super popular and people go there for those. Oh well, no! Yeah. No one went to the Fievel theme playground. It, it, they had to replace also, it. What? What do you mean people? Didn't, people? Went, it was there for <laughs> ten years, Brett. For a decade, <laughs> it got removed for a giant can of Coke. How? Because you know why? Because Coke paid a bunch of money. <laughs> People were going to that spot and Coke was like, you know what we should do? Put our brand all over oh, this. So you're saying it's maybe the other way around. Maybe maybe Fievel was too yes. popular and they actually needed to monetize it. <laughs> no, I mean, maybe, I mean, there's, you know, I don't work at these parks, but I'm just saying like there obviously was something about it that Coca-Cola was like, hey, we need to throw some money at that. Email uh, us if I you... I feel bad for all of you who have missed the Aliens movie experience. 
that I got to have. <laughs> the Aliens movie experience? Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, for some reason, the Terminator 2 attraction is still there, which I don't understand. Uh, but the greatest one will be the, the Alien Escape at Disney. Now, that was quickly replaced by a, a Stitch thing that's not nearly as good. That's what it was Disney's attempt, Disney's attempt to actually you know, have a thrilling ride and it got replaced. Well, that's what Disney did in, in uh, Orlando when they got rid of the Tower of Terror and put in Guardians of the Galaxy Tower of Terror. What? And then CBS. No, I think that's t- now, Tower of Terror is still, the original Tower of Terror is still in California at California Adventure. Yeah, it's still, it's still at the California Adventure. So you can go yeah, there. I'm rebranded. I am not happy with them rebranding Tower of Terror. No, and also CBS is sitting there counting their dollars saying, hmm, you should have waited a couple years. So, yeah, I don't... Email us if you ever went to the Fievel Playground Waterhouse. I, w- I probably did as a kid. I would love I mean, I've- someone to email us. Just e- Even if it's literally just an email that says, yes, I went. <laughs> like... Just let me know that yeah, someone went know. to this and if it what it looked like. Or I can probably find photos. All righty. I think that's going to wrap us up here. Does anyone else have anything to talk about with an American tale? Um, I'm looking. I don't know. <laughs> we covered everything, really. <laughs> this is a snappy I mean, Dom 52 Deluise, I was very happy when Dom DeLuise showed up as Tiger, the friendly vegetarian cat. Yeah, he's cute. So this is that's like his standard role in a Don Bluth movie is the, you know, comic, slightly bumbling character who comes in to make the kids feel better. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was it, it was fun. I definitely wish we could have gotten more of it. Tiger was definitely a, a kind of something the movie needed. It was very akin to the uh, the character in uh, Rescuers. I can't the the the, the seagull. Well, I do have Mavis Staples the cat here in my hands. For she, she, I was gonna try to get her the meow into the microphone. It didn't really pan out that way. Now she's just feeling some loves. But she wants everyone to know: not all cats, not all cats. Everybody, <laughs> they're not. Yeah, yeah. Get your propaganda out of here. Right, yeah. Hashtag not all cats. Tweet us. All righty. Well, let's go around the table. Where can we find everybody online? What about you, Nicole? What have you been up to? You can find me on Letterboxd at Nicole underscore Davis. You can find me shepherding our Facebook page at facebook.com slash moviegorounderoundpodcast. Please do contact us there. Um, you can also you know, do nice things like leave ratings for us on iTunes or Podcast Go, which is where I often listen to our podcast or any of your other various podcasting um, applications. All right, David, where can people find you online? People can find me around the internet, uh, around the internet, under the username Davluz, that is D-A-V-L-U-Z. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram with that. You can also find me on the Brokebot Mountain podcast. Very good. You can find me on Twitter at I am Brett Stewart. Email the show, hi at mgrpodcast.com. You can also find the whole back catalog at mgrpodcast.com. And finally, if you'd like to get the links to our Facebook and our Twitter and all of the links that the hosts have just mentioned right now, you can go to social.mgrpodcast.com. Com, and you can get all of those links in one convenient place. Just click follow, 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 and you can follow everybody. Next week, we are going to be watching a future classics pick. That is my pick, and it is Disney's 2009 animated film, The Princess and the Frog. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.